This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. Welcome, gather round the fireside and listen to a tale of Fionn McCool, Cullen, Deirdre, all the sorrows grow on your wail. From giants right down to fairies, about the trooping and solitary, and those who are sometimes scary. Anything goes by the fireside. Yeah. Fireside, the Puka Fireside, the Mero Fireside. Kings and queens fighting heroes, don't you run from the fun, there's no need to hide. Sit by the fireside. Mm-hmm. Fireside. Hello and welcome to Fireside, the Irish storytelling podcast. Each episode of Fireside, we take a story from folklore and mythology, we retell it, have a chat about the tale itself and about the craft, culture and history of storytelling. My name is Kevin C. Olihan. I am your host and your Fireside Bard. Welcome to episode 169 of Fireside. Today on the Irish Storytelling Podcast, we have a folk tale over from the west of Ireland, once again on the border between Roscommon and Mayo from Douglas Hyde's collection of Beside the Fire. This is the tale of the hags of the long teeth. But before we get down to that, a very big welcome to any new and indeed returning listeners. If you're a new listener, you can listen to this one absolutely no problem. You need no prior experience or to have listened to any other episodes of Fireside to enjoy this one. But if you do, why don't you head right back to the very beginning to episode one and see what we've been building up to over the last three and a half years of this podcast. And if you're a returning listener, as always, thank you so much for your continued support and ways you can support the podcast. You can follow me over on Instagram at Fireside Bard. Uh, you can tell a friend about the podcast. Uh, you can email me at thefiresidebard at gmail.com if you're not on social media. Those are the best places to get in touch with me for any business or personal reasons or even if you just want to say hello. Um, and uh, if otherwise, you can buy my poetry book, Garden Sea, my uh, collection about uh, the mythology, history and religion of my home county of Wicklow uh, through a lens of my growing up there. Uh, you can buy that either in paperback form from headstuff.org or in Kindle form from, the, from Amazon and the links are in the description below. Thank you so much again to everyone who has already ordered it. Please do continue to send me on your messages with your thoughts and uh, opinions about it. All that is always very, very appreciated and it means a great deal to be sending it all around the world. And if you really want to support the podcast directly, you can, of course, join Headstuff Podcast. Uh, you can go to headstuffpodcast.com and join Headstuff Plus, whereas for a little as five euro a month, although you can pay more if you want, you can gain access to bonus material, not just for Fireside, but for all of the podcasts on the Fireside on the Headstuff Podcast Network. And there are more of them each and every month. Uh, the, the company continues to grow, which is always great to see and great to be a part of. But as always, no hard sell on any of those. I am recording from you tonight, folks, um, from the city of Darwin in the Northern Territory of Australia. We have flown to Darwin. I'm still on tour with World of Musicals. We flew to the Northern Territory for one show here in, here in Darwin City. And uh, we fly back tomorrow uh, to Sydney and start our leg in New South Wales. We had our 34th show today. So it was, uh, it's, we've been on the road a good while now. Still so wonderful to be back up and running and properly cooking with this tour of Australia and New Zealand. 
Um, it, my God, it is hot in Darwin. We arrived last night and uh, I've never encountered a balmy heat like it. And I lived in the desert in Dubai, although I did live there in winter going into spring. So I'm sure Dubai would be com- comparable to this now. Um, but it was a balmy 34 degrees today. And even now it's uh, it's nearly midnight when I'm recording this. And uh, even now it's like 26 degrees outside. It's an intense heat, but it's been wonderful. And we went out, took a boat out and... Uh, a cruise out into the harbour and has the largest natural harbour in the world and uh, Darwin was bombed it was the largest bombing um, of Australia uh, during World War Two by the Japanese uh, which was something I knew a little bit about but it was great to hear a proper bit of the history of the area um, from a local uh, so that was a wonderful thing to do and then I went around and visited a few there's a few beautiful uh, Aboriginal art galleries around the city I went to one today called Mace, the Mason Gallery where I picked up a few bits actually on uh, Aboriginal folklore and um, language and just again to have as many fingers and as many pies and I learn as many even little bits of folklore and mythology from different cultures because um, I'm excited to read one. I got a book on The Legend of the Seven Sisters which is apparently one of the big um, Aboriginal uh, folk tales. so look forward to reading that. Uh, and then, yes, we had the show, and now I'm recording this, and then we head back, fly back to Sydney tomorrow, and continue on we go. So the story for this week, um, I'm in a little bit, I'm still very tired like I was <laughs> recording uh, uh, the last week's episode. Last week's episode got wild, that was a kind of deliriousness, but uh, I hope you all still enjoyed it. That was coming after we had an hour and a half drive back to our hotel afterwards last week when we were doing the last story on Grania Whale. But this this time, I just had to walk back to the hotel, so I have a little bit more energy and coming to you now. So the story for this week is another folktale from Douglas Hyde's um, Beside the Fire, uh, which is just, uh, it's, it's a real hit machine. It's like Oasis's second album, uh, What's the Story, Morning Glory. It's just like track for track. It's story for story, uh, great ones. And I've wanted to adapt each one that I haven't adapted before, like ones like Gullish and the Princess of France, which I did in the very first year of Fireside. That's in there. So obviously I've done that. But uh, I've tried to keep them, as I've said, like aquatic and themed around the Mayo area uh, and keep it in the west of Ireland to tie into all our stories of growing you well. So this is probably the last one that I'll be bound to with that. Although you'll see, I'll tell you a little bit more at the end of the episode about what direction Fireside is going to go into now that we've completed our saga on Grania Whale. But this is a really, this is a really interesting little tale. I'll let the story speak for itself, but it had, again, elements I hadn't encountered in other stories before, but it still felt like a very lived-in world. Uh, we feature a lot of a common thing with some of the Douglas Hyde tales, which is the wonderful marriage and the contradiction of priests and bishops engaging with the world of folklore and mythology. So with that, we'll chat more afterwards, but this is The Hags of the Long Teeth on Fireside. The Hags of the Long Teeth Once there were a group of men from Dublin who travelled from the east to the west of Ireland to the lake of Loch Glynn in County Roscommon. Their aim was to go hunting and fishing by the lake. The men looked for lodgings but found there was no inn in the village, so they stayed with the local priest at the parochial house. The next morning the men rose early and went out hunting in the forest of Drimenech. They quickly came across a hare and began to pursue the poor creature. 
They lay traps and fired bullets, but could not catch or hit the hare. The big long rabbit led the hunters deep into a forest and right up to a small wooden cabin. The hare galloped over the threshold of the open door and inside the cabin, and the hunters followed. But when they came to the front of the cabin, guarding the door was a large black dog. It was big and feral, with long teeth set into an even longer jaw. Its eyes glowed a crackling orange that put fear into every man of the hunters. The hound stood proudly and menacingly at the threshold of the door. The hunter slowly advanced, but the dog wouldn't move. Finally, one of the hunters fired a bullet at the proud beast. The dog caught the bullet between its teeth, chewed it up, and spat the mangled piece of metal back on the ground. As the hunters stared at the chewed-up bullet before them, wondering what circle of hell this hound must be from to have performed such a feat, a voice came from inside the cabin. Stop! What are you doing to my poor pup? The sight of the dog didn't put the same fear into the hunters as the figure that emerged from inside the cabin. It was an old woman with teeth as long as cutlery, elongating her face to a monstrous length. It didn't seem to the hunters that the woman should be able to speak at all. Nevertheless, she did. We, we, we are hunting a hare that has ran inside your cabin, and your mutt will not let us pass said one of the hunters to the old woman. Lie down and let them pass, said the woman to the dog, before turning her long teeth back to the hunters. You are welcome to come inside if you want. The hunters now weren't so keen to enter the cabin. Is there, is there anyone else living in there with you? said another hunter. There is, said the woman. Or rather, there are. I have six sisters, and we all live here in the woods. We would like to see them, said the hunters. The old woman didn't have to make this request before there were six others standing before the hunters, each identical, each with teeth long enough to dig a grave. The hunters didn't even know if they were looking at humans anymore. They decided to leave the hare and the cabin and the long-toothed women behind them and the hunters proceeded deeper into the forest. Soon they came across seven vultures perched high on an old tree branch. Where there were vultures, there was fresh dead meat, and where there was fresh dead meat, there was very much wild life. The hunters began firing bullets at the vultures, and despite the mangy buzzard's relatively slower speed, they evaded every single shot fired. It was then that the hare reappeared to the hunters. Eventually things would stop surprising them, but this wasn't that occasion. The hare began to speak. The cabin you came across belongs to the hags of the long teeth. They live with their father, who was the dog that guarded the cabin door. They can take many forms, and one of these forms is the vultures you now fire at. Don't you know that they are all under an enchantment to remain in the forest? Absolutely not. We didn't know any of this, said one of the hunters. Do you think if we had known, we would have gone hunting in Loch Lynn, said another. We said we should have gone to Loch Ray, said another still. Well, said the hare, 
They are under a curse, and it is believed they have a castle under the lake of Loch Glynn itself. They can transform into seven swans and swim into the castle at night. In any case, you would all best be careful and leave them well alone. And what about you? asked a hunter of the hare. Who are you? Who, me? the beast replied. Oh, I'm just a talking hare. And he hopped away. The hunters returned home that night and told the priest all that they had witnessed. Sure enough, the priest did not believe a word. So the hunters dared the priest to come and see for himself. So the next mornings, the hunters went back to the woods, this time with the cleric in tow. Just in case, the priest had brought the usual accoutrement for blessings. When the group came upon the cabin, the dog was waiting at the door. Next, one of the hags of the long teeth emerged, and the priest was suddenly made a believer of. He was certain he was looking at the work of the devil, and took out his prayer book and his rosary beads and began reciting verses. The father dog of the hags began to growl, his eyes widened, his jowls began to foam, and he began to approach the priest. The cleric kept on reading verses, and the dog began to run. The priest never stopped reading until the hound leapt up and pounded all four paws into the priest's chest and knocking the holy man out. With the incantation stopped, the dog returned to his post by the cabin door. The priest was left deaf and dumb by the encounter. The hunters carried him back to the parochial house and went for the priest's superior, the bishop. They told the bishop everything that had happened. The bishop told the hunters he couldn't come to Lachlan immediately, but that he would come at the end of the month. He must have had other equally or even more important creatures of the other realm to deal with first. But that night, as the bishop slept soundly in his comfortable bed, one of the hags of the long teeth came before him and woke him up. The bishop let out a yelp, but the hag put one of her long, bony hands over the bishop's mouth to silence him. You made a promise today to go to Loch Glynn and banish the hags of the long teeth. I've come here to warn you that if you do that, you will not come back alive. When the bishop had stifled his screams and was calm, the hag removed her hand from his mouth and allowed him to speak. The bishop said, I have already promised that I will go. I cannot break my word. The hag replied, We are under this curse for the crimes of our father. Our brother married a woman, and on their marital night our father forced her to let him have his way with her. For this crime my brother murdered my father, but then my brother turned his wrath on me and my sisters. He worried that we would tell his secret and so he murdered each one of the seven of us. Now we are cursed to remain in the forests of Drimanach for two hundred years and a night until our souls can be at peace. And we dwell during the day in the forest, and at night in the castle sunk at the bottom of Loch Glen. No one ever encountered us, or was concerned by us, until these Dublin hunters arrived. Tonight is 199 years to the day since the enchantment began. All we ask is that you leave us be for a year and a day. 
The next morning, the bishop visited the priest and hunters at Loch Glen and told them that the High King had ordered that the hags of the long teeth be left alone for a day longer than a year. One week later, as the now dumb and deaf priest walked by a window in the parochial house, he saw on the ledge outside a robin redbreast. The priest opened the window and saw the robin held in its beak an unusual green herb the priest did not recognize. Believing it a sign from his god, as the robin was believed to have been given his red breast by the blood of Jesus Christ, the priest took the herb. The moment he swallowed, the priest knew by hearing the vibration in his throat that he was cured. He could hear and speak once more and the first person he listened to and spoke to was the robin. The bird said, Do you remember coming across a robin with a broken leg whom you took in and nursed back to health? Indeed I do, said the priest. I couldn't just leave you die. Well, you could have, but you didn't. And were it not for you, I wouldn't be alive today. And were it not for me, you would still be deaf and dumb. And I have also come here to warn you to stay away from the forest of Drimanach and from the hags of the long teeth. And nothing worth telling did happen for 365 days exactly after that fact. But a year to the day later, when the bishop had all but forgotten about the whole enchantment matter, that same hag of the long teeth came once again to his bedside as he slept. The bishop awoke and got a fright but did not scream. The hag said, Tomorrow our curse ends, but we have one final request to make of you. Go to the forest, to our cabin. There you will find the bodies of seven dead vultures. Carry their bodies to the lake of Loch Glynn and lay them to rest. The bishop promised he would, and the hag was gone. The next morning, the bishop along with the priest, went to the cabin in the woods of Drimanach. Once again, the big black dog was there, but upon sight of the bishop and the priest, the dog began to run away towards the lake. Inside the cabin, the pair found the seven peacefully dead vultures. The priest picked up three, and the bishop four, and they carried the bodies to the lake. There, the vultures were laid to rest. The moment the last one sank beneath the water's surface, the priest and the bishop saw seven beautiful white swans erupt from the waters of the lake and fly into the sky and out of sight. They then saw the hound under the water of the lake disappear into the darkness. It was thought that the swans had ascended to heaven, the seven sisters free from their curse. The dog remained in purgatory in the mortal realm. But neither father nor daughter was ever seen in the forest of Loch Glen again, and no outside hunters were keen to visit there either. The End Fad Camp is a comedy podcast about the ridiculousness of fad diets and diet culture, hosted by me, Grace Mulvey, and me, Connor Dowling. 
If you have a body of any kind, chances are you've crossed paths with at least one of the bizarre diet trends we cover in our show. And between me and Connor, we have done nearly every fad diet there is. Juice cleansing. Fasting. The potato diet. Which is actually a real diet, by the way, and we don't recommend it. So join us as we try to make sense of the madness that is diet culture. Find Fad Camp everywhere you get your podcasts and make sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Fad Camp Podcast. And that is the tale of the Hags of the Long Teeth on Fireside, and I hope you all enjoy it. Uh, enjoyed it even. Yeah, wonderful, wonderful little tale here. Um, once again, from this border between Roscommon and Mayo, which must have been where Douglas Hyde collected the vast majority of these tales for it. The things, uh, the main thing I like in it, first and foremost, um, I said before at the beginning, I always like these tales that feature priests and bishops and the clergy, and in general make light of or just even address the total contradiction of the fierce Catholicism of Ireland for so many centuries, um, married with the fierce paganism of the country as well, and those two that lived alongside each other for so long despite being totally opposing ideologies, and the folklore reflecting this, especially with the... uh, with us within the 20th century how corrupt um the the catholicism and the catholic church's hold on the country of ireland with the marriage of church and state was and how we're still kind of coming over that and healing the wounds of that i like the potency of making light and addressing uh character priests as characters in these in this folklore um, my still probably my favorite being uh from years ago from the first year again i think of fireside when we had the story of the the priests going to the house of the dying man and talking to the dying man, um, I I have I'd even adapted that as like a potential script form if I was ever to do like a screen version of Fireside. Um, I must remember what the name of that name of that story is. Really nice one, um, but here we have another wonderful one as well, and we have. These familiar elements such as like the hound from hell, this big black dog, the grim, the serious black kind of figure. And uh, but then we have these these titular hags of the long teeth. And this is one of those cases where it's really almost hard to imagine to visualize these, that they have these teeth as long as as knives and forks i'm like what would that look like how much would that elongate their face and especially for me having to orally do these and read these um how would they talk how would that creature sound in the world and having that in my head then just makes it easier when i'm doing a voice for a hare or a robin to just imagine the size of their mouth and how would those those creatures speak if they could in the world um I remember in I Know That Voice, brilliant documentary on voice acting, they talk about that, and some of the great voice actors talk about, John DiMaggio included, about like seeing a jaw, if if a character has buck teeth, or if he has a big jaw, if he's a big guy, all of those things have to go into the creation of the voice. And I didn't do this before going in, but uh, I found what naturally was happening as I was recording there was I suddenly just got the image of the mouth of Sauron from Lord of the Rings, uh, which is a scene 
for anyone who's just seen the book or who's just read the movies, it's a scene that was cut from Return of the King that is in the extended edition. And when I say it's in extended edition, I mean the only edition. That is the only way to consume that trilogy is the extended versions of each. If you ever remember, I was on a flight home last year and I watched Return of the King and I was devastated to find that it was the dreaded theatrical cut. So I got no Mouth of Sauron and I got no Death of Saruman two absolutely integral scenes to the book but the mouth of Sauron has these like knife like like fangs and these long teeth and he as he pronounces everything you just have to imagine that the length of his teeth and how much that affects how he talks so that was something I had in my head for the hags of the long teeth that they're almost like these uh, Edward Monk scream kind of figures and you almost can't imagine them having eyes. There's no explanation of all as to why they have these teeth. Did they have these in life? Were they actually some kind of other species? Or was this part of the curse for this really, really awful crime um, of the father um, having his having his way with it, with the woman, with the wife of his son on her married night, and then the son murdering the father and his seven sisters just in case they ratted him out is really really awful um but again adds an immense potency that i would never want to sanitize to a story like this um and then we get like the only the only kind of superfluous things or one thing that i changed one core thing that i changed them um, was the hair returning they chase the hunters chase this hare at the beginning and he disappears into the house and he's never seen again and then they just run into a random old man who tells them the story of the hags and the long teeth um, but I liked the idea of the hare coming back and him being the one I saw no reason why he couldn't be the one to speak and to tell them all and plus then I got to have one of my favourite kind of cheap gags by just saying of course he's just a magical hare he's not significant in it otherwise it's just a hare that talks who knows what's going on he knows what's going down in the forest um, but the other main thing is when the priest is uh, made deaf and dumb by like trying to exercise the power of Christ compels the the hound of hell. Um, there is this later scene where he's visited by this Robin and this Robin cures him and tells him, you know, not to go and bother the hags. That adds nothing. Technically, it wouldn't. Um, the story wouldn't lose anything without it except that you would just if you did happen to think of this priest this unnamed priest character after the story you might think oh god he stayed deaf and dumb forever that's very sad and also I just couldn't not have mentioned it when it was a Robin after doing the full episode on the Robin and the Wren for the Christmas special of Fireside a couple of years ago and doing the video to that effect as well uh, I just have too much of a soft spot for Robins and Wrens particularly to have not mentioned that wonderful little moment. But other than that, this is a fairly straightforward, um, good tale. I enjoyed it a lot. It flowed very nicely. I only had to read it a couple of times. I could very much make this one my own. Very clear and especially, oh God, especially with the density of that last episode of Grony Whale particularly, which was so detailed and so meandering. And there was so much to fit in and so much pressure on it being the last one. This was an absolute gift to write. This was an absolute joy. And I hope you felt the same as well. Uh, and with that, I will wrap things up. But thank you so much for listening. Um, I hope you enjoyed it. And next week, so there is a big story there aren't too many gaps. As you know, I try and fill in retroactively any of the gaps I might have had uh, during 
our first go through all the cycles of Irish mythology. There is a story that is not in the Fenian cycle, but is still one of the big, big tales of the Fianna and of Fionn McCool. And it's one that I didn't do for a long time because it's not one I really came across in a in any of my textual sources. However, it's a one I want to tackle now, and it feels very natural to tackle it after Grania Well because it, uh, it is to do with the sea, it is to do with battles, and uh, it, is co- it is known as the Battle of Ventry. And this could be... Um, I, have to, I still have to adapt it yet because it'll be um, a couple of weeks from when I'm recording this now because uh, I still have one or two to come out. Um but it could be like a three episode one could be one depending on the sources i find and and how much fun i end up having it but this could be an exciting one for a couple of episodes which could potentially get us some more could lead to more stories about film mccool which would be really really cool and then i'm also on the hunt as i am in australia and i'm going to be in new zealand and i'm going to be here for another few months um when i was in america on tour the first time i did a few irish american folktales so i'm interested in coming across some like irish australian folklore as well i would never want to adapt aboriginal culture that folklore that wouldn't be my place um but if there is like a connection to ireland um and a connection to the celtic world or even stories that just uh, have parallels then that could be something really cool to do while i am out here but yeah, lots more still to come. Very exciting stuff for ahead at Fireside HQ. Um, as always, email, um, email me at thefiresidebard at gmail.com. Message me on Instagram at firesidebard. Best ways is to say hello or get in contact. Um, buy my book, Garden Sea. Links are in the description below. Paperback and Kindle version we can deliver anywhere in the world. Um, support the podcast at headstuffpodcast.com. Uh, I'll see you all. You'll hear me all next time. And remember, wherever you are and wherever you go, you can always join me by the fireside. This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network, a hub for the creative and the curious. Shows are produced in association with Headstuff and the Podcast Studios Dublin. Find out more or become a member at headstuffpodcasts.com.